Hello and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. The group stages are over. The quarterfinals are about to begin. Uh, women's Euros or Euro 2022 just doesn't stop. I'm really, really delighted to be joined by Nancy Gillen of Give Me Sport before she tries to find a way to Brighton, given the heat wave going on in, in the UK at the moment and the problems that that's causing. Nancy, how's it going? Yeah, really good, thank you. Yeah, I've been to a few Euros matches so far and I've really enjoyed them all. So I'm really looking forward to tonight. Fingers crossed I get there, but yeah, once I'm there, I'm just going to soak it all in. I think it's going to be great. Fingers crossed you get there and fingers crossed however you get there, it's air-conditioned, whatever vehicle you end up sitting in, um, so that you're not sort of going absolutely mental on the way down there as well. Um, Yeah, so that will be England-Spain tonight, obviously. Firstly, though, I I just want to rattle through the, the group stages, really, with picking out a few key points, I guess. Um, So I'm just going to throw out there I'll give my one as well but I'll throw out there at you first um what was the the thing that surprised you the most your biggest surprise from the group stage um I think for me it was actually weirdly uh maybe this kind of went under the radar a bit but I thought it was a bit I was surprised by Belgium uh qualifying for the knockouts um just because I think in the group that they were in and maybe this is more a surprise of the teams around them the way they performed um looking at obviously France Belgium Iceland Italy I thought France uh, were um, obviously the strongest team in, in that and went through quite easily. But then, yeah, I, my prediction probably would have been Iceland to go through second, Italy third and then Belgium fourth. Um, and yeah, Group D was a bit of a weird one. I think it was a case of France being good and the other three teams being a bit mediocre and Belgium just kind of emerged as like the best mediocre team. Really. <laughs> um, you know, they were all kind of just drawing with each other and then they managed to get a a win at the end against uh, Italy. So, yeah, I think that's for me, for me, if I'm looking at all the teams that uh, qualified into the uh, knockouts, Belgium is the one that stands out to me as, as something I didn't really expect. Uh, can I can I throw like a curveball and say they lost two of their games, they drew one, but Portugal surprised me the most because they were just so much fun to watch. I mean, I know the last game, obviously, in the end, uh, they they got battered um, by Sweden, but the games against Switzerland and the Netherlands, coming from a couple of goals behind both times, I just thought they were really entertaining, and they shouldn't have even been here. It should have been Russia, and they just sort of threw everything uh, forward and and went for it a bit. Obviously, it didn't pay off, but I thought it, they made the games really really fun. Maybe people would have been expecting them to to get a couple of hide-ins. Yeah, I think definitely Portugal were involved in some of the matches that I found most entertaining. And it was kind of a very, uh, like, no defending, just attack <laughs> situation. Um, yeah, with, I mean, with the Switzerland game, they were almost unfortunate that they did concede two in, like, the first five minutes, just because then they did kind of establish themselves and manage to, to score another two themselves. And then, you know, if they hadn't conceded those two, it could have been... They could have definitely won that. And then the Netherlands game, yeah, I think it was quite touch and go. It relied on a bit of genius from uh, van der Donk for the Netherlands to win that. Um, yeah, they really, they obviously were playing with no fear. I think they probably had the attitude of, like you said, they, they weren't even really meant to be there. And they were like, let's just go for it and almost have fun. And they, yeah, just didn't really seem daunted by any of the opposition they came up against. Obviously, it fell apart a bit against uh, Sweden. 
at the end. But I think when you consider the the caliber of players that Sweden had, I suppose it's not too surprising. But yeah, no, I really I really enjoyed their uh, their stint in the tournament. It is a, a shame to see them go out because, like you said, they were very entertaining. If only they could defend corners, then then we might yeah. be talking about a team that was in the quarterfinals. Um, from from one team that is going home but disappointed us or disappointingly going home they didn't disappoint us um to a a disappointment of the group stage is there any one or anything or any team that stood out to you as a real disappointment a letdown yeah I mean definitely Norway I think everyone's gonna view Norway as the disappointment of the group stage um bit embarrassing for me because I was proper like blowing their trumpet (laughs) saying I thought not even necessary dark horses I was like they could go on and win um I just think when you look on on paper at the team they have it's so so strong um they've obviously got a bit of uh you know discontent with their manager and I think their manager now has said that he's gonna resign yeah yeah yesterday that that was done yeah, so hopefully that will kind of herald in a new era for Norway and they can move on and actually make the most of the players that they have on the pitch. But I think just, yeah, looking at the group, I mean, I, I don't want to disrespect Austria whatsoever. I think they're a great team and they did get to the, the semis in 2017. Um, but I think looking, you know, Norway definitely had the firepower, the star power to, to beat them. Um, and... Just, I mean, beat. I mean, losing to England eight nil. That that was ridiculous. I, yeah. I just couldn't. I couldn't believe it. It's not even like losing, you know, narrowly and kind of just missing out on a place in the knockouts. They were absolutely smashed by England. Um. So yeah, they. I I had gone to the Norway Northern Ireland game and they beat Northern Ireland four one. And I did think Nor- Norway looked really good. And then yeah, just their last two matches was just a massive disappointment and it's uh I mean they're going to be massively disappointed about the fact they're not even in the knockouts um it was just a bit of a disaster tournament for them well and like you say this is a team that arrived and people expect them to to go very far and to potentially win it I mean after the England Austria game you're looking at England Norway thinking like okay this is a proper test for England and we'll see where they actually stand and it yeah to to lose that one 8-0 as you say is it was a huge disappointment. There was all the talk about Ada Hegerberg being back. I don't blame the players even particularly, by the way. Like, Frieda Marnham weirdly didn't start against England. Uh, Caroline Graham Hansen was playing in midfield. You had, like, centrally instead of on the wing. And you had Guru Wrighton also, um, Mara Mielda. Like, nobody, so many players not playing in their usual positions as well. And it just, we've seen a lot of that at this tournament, but it just felt quite strange. Yeah, it's definitely a case of the players they have not being utilised properly. And obviously, that's where the problem with the management has come in. Um, yeah, and it's it's such a shame. It is such a shame. I think it just shows, I think, what, with what's happened with England, it really shows how significant a really good manager who knows how to use their players can be. And Norway, it's been the complete opposite for them compared to England. Um, and just not, yeah, really not use the players that they have well enough. I'm... Even though you know, obviously, yeah, I would. I just like to see for the World Cup them get a good manager in, and and they could be a real force if if they use their players correctly. So we have to see at the World Cup next year whether they can have turned things around by then. No, uh, absolutely. Do you think it's fair to obviously they 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 were sort of stunned on the eve of the tournament with Alexia Puteas being lost to injury? 
is it fair to call Spain a disappointment, even when you're considering that and what it meant for the team and what it would have meant mentally for the players as well? Because they just haven't been very impressive at all. And you take out Puteas, and obviously that's a huge loss, but there's still a lot of top, top quality players there and we just haven't really seen it. Yeah, I mean, again, like, it's... Uh, I don't want to jinx what's happening tonight, uh, <laughs> the match tonight, but I am relatively confident because, like you said, I don't think they performed uh, massively well in uh, the group uh, stages. And they it was very much a case of just possession, possession, possession. Uh, no one really on the end to... Um, score goals they weren't very clinical um, and yeah I, I think I think it's fair to say they are a disappointment again I think people look at that team and say there's so many Barcelona stars in it and Barcelona are you know the best team in the world and surely that means the Spanish national team should be dominating but again it's kind of you know different players are being used in different roles they're missing a lot of their the key Barcelona players like Graham Hansen and Martins and people like that um, and Rolfo but yeah, I think I think it probably is fair to say they were a disappointment. They very nearly didn't beat Denmark, um, so they would have finished the group with one win, one draw, and one loss. Um, and it was only a last-minute goal against Denmark that got them that win. So they definitely were a bit underwhelming. Yeah. Let's um, let's bring the mood a little bit up now, I guess, and uh, move on to your star of the group stage, your star of the tournament so far. If there's one player you had to pick out. Um, for me, I've got to say Beth Mees. <laughs> I, <have to>, I, <laughs> yeah. I kind of wanted to pick someone that wasn't an England player, but I think it's just impossible to ignore her. Um, I think, you know, just scoring five goals, I think three assists in the group stage, so leading the Golden Boot race. Um, and it, it's, it was just her all-round play as well. It wasn't even necessarily the fact that she's been on the end of things and scoring goals. She's just been such a force. I think England's player of the match for all three um for all, all three matches in the group stage. Um, and yeah, she's just been absolutely brilliant, like continuing the form that she had with Arsenal um, last season into this tournament. And I'm, I am fully expecting her to go on and win that golden boot now. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to go with Mead. No, five goals already. She's she's a couple of goals ahead in the race for the golden boot. So you'd think one or two more and, and that would probably be wrapped up. She might not even have to score again to win it. It's been a ridiculous group stage um, so far. If you had to pick somebody else, then if you had to pick, I don't know, what would you prefer? Another, a different England player or somebody not from England? Does anybody stick out? Um, I think there's a few, you know, who I've, I know we were just saying how underwhelming Spain have been. Uh, I've been really impressed with Mappy Leon in the Spanish mm-hmm. defence. Yeah, me too. Um, I think less of the, obviously the team around her maybe hasn't been as good, but just, I think she's just so good. Like her set piece delivery have been incredible. You know, Spain seem to be scoring from headers <laughs> at the moment. And when I was watching the Denmark game, they really did seem to be going for just crosses into the box. They just don't really have someone to to head those in. Um, but yeah, her set piece delivery is, is brilliant. Her defensive work is brilliant. Um, she does seem to be kind of their key player at the moment. Um, and yeah, so for me, I think there's probably a few others, but Mappy Leon has been great. I think uh, Rolfo and Aslani for Sweden have been pretty good as well. Mm. Um, again, Sweden maybe not living up to their full potential, but those two have really stood out. Um so yeah, there's there's a few from other teams, definitely. But yeah, think, off the top of my head, I'd say those those guys. 
I think Aslani is a is a really good shout as well. It's it's really funny watching a tournament. So so for anyone who doesn't know, I'm in Germany, and it's really funny watching tournaments. I've watched a few now, and and watched the Olympics last year, it, living in a country that you're not from, because obviously all the stories that you hear on TV and all of the coverage is just so different. It's it's based around obviously the the country that you're in. Um, so I don't know how much it's been talked about or, or thought about before, but uh, outside of Germany. But Marina Hegering has, I think, been brilliant for Germany and barely played all season. Started, sort of ended the season playing for Bayern Munich second team just to get some match fitness to go into the tournament. And uh, you know, like legend of the women's game, Alexandra Pop as well, who has missed the last two Euros. Never played a Euros before now, which sounds insane. Uh, missed yeah. the last two. Yeah, like I don't know, I don't know how much this has sort of left Germany. I guess that story. Um, she would have missed last summer as well if it was last summer because she did her ACL and then has come into the team and and scored two goals in the group stage, which is just mental. Like one of the one of the biggest names in certainly like European football, I guess, ever probably in in the women's game. And yeah, it's been really nice to see that coverage, I guess, in Germany and and see her especially finally get to to do it in a Euros and then actually deliver in two. So that's, um, I think that's something to keep looking out for. Uh, lastly, I, I want to go on to a moment of the group stage, if that makes sense. Is there anything that sticks out or anything that will stick with you? Um, maybe this isn't really on the pitch, but uh, I really loved Austria's celebrations. I don't know if you saw the footage of those. <laughs> yeah. So, after every win and then when they qualified for the knockouts they were just they kept like raiding invading the uh press room uh the, the press conference room and i think when they qualified for the knockouts they had like um like the wet floor signs and stuff and they like had picked those up and were like flapping those about um and there was a brilliant video going around on twitter where the mix zone um and the entrance to the press conference room were right next to each other and you had hegerberg giving an interview looking very sad and then you had a stream of Austrian players like jubilant Austrian players like going past her into the press room like celebrating um so just that contrast and the fact that it's obviously quite unfortunate placing um so yeah that probably off the pitch that I uh, I really really enjoyed that um on the pitch I I don't know if this is a moment as such but but definitely the 8-0 victory for England against Norway yeah. and if I had to pick a specific moment I loved the Beth Mead goal which I can't remember which uh, one it was in terms of the order, but the, when she like basically dribbled around the defence and then just slotted yep. it into the net, I thought that was a brilliant goal. So, yeah, they're my moments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't beat that. I've, I've, I've got written down in front of me Finland. Finland scoring against Spain is. I mean, they lost four one in the end, and maybe nobody will remember it. But I love that in tournaments when a team you don't expect. To, to really be able to put up much of a fight, manages to nick a goal or take the lead. And the celebrations are just crazy because they can hardly believe it themselves. So I I at least will remember Finland going ahead within, was it like a minute, a minute and a half against Spain yeah. for a very, very long time. Yeah, and that was one of the first like uh, matches of the tournament as well. And I was like, oh, is this going to be a really surprising yeah. tournament? <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, Spain came back. So <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that which is, I, I, you wouldn't call it a shame that Spain came back, but um, necessarily, but yeah, it, you did sort of wonder, didn't you? Like, hold on a minute, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, so, so that's the group stage. There's a lot more to talk about, but 
we've got to move on with the quarterfinals and that's the thing with tournaments like you, you can't just dwell on what's happened because what's going to happen comes so quickly so thick and fast that you just sort of have to get on with it and move on i guess um in the group stage three groups really were dominated by one team and everyone had england germany france as their their three teams their three favorites that sort of emerged after the first two games at least so I thought we might start with Group C and talk about the Netherlands and, and Sweden first. So do you think the Dutch, I mean, we talked about disappointments before. It feels like not only are they not playing to their potential, but it doesn't feel like they're going to crack it and that they're going to start playing to their potential at any point soon. Yeah, and they're really having a bit of misfortune with... Uh injuries and COVID and stuff like uh, yesterday Leek Martins was ruled out of the tournament um, they've obviously Medem has had COVID uh, Jackie Gronin has been out for a bit their keeper's got injured although I've got to say the keeper that has come in has been uh, brilliant despite her young age but yeah they I mean I think they've admitted themselves uh, they've always you know people when I've listened to interviews with Medema and stuff she's said that they admit that they're kind of a team in transition um, going from, you know, having won the Euros in 2017. Now they've got a new manager. They've, they're getting new players and kind of working them in. Um, and I think they do very much look like that. They don't really look as dominant as they had done in, well, for the Euros in 2017 and, and the World Cup in 2019 when they reached the final. Um, I thought, yeah, the, the one all draw against Sweden, to be fair, is actually probably a pretty good result for them because, uh I think Sweden probably would have been more disappointed with that, not getting a win. But then, as we as we've spoken about, the Portugal game was pretty cagey and could have gone either way. And then the scoreline against Switzerland looked pretty big, four one. But I think for me, having mm-hmm. watched it, it was very much a case of uh, the final kind of ten five ten minutes. Switzerland were like, we have to go for this, otherwise we're not going to qualify. And then the Netherlands took advantage of that and were able to score more freely because the Swiss defence were not as there because Switzerland were trying to score. Um, so it, I don't think yeah. it was quite as uh, emphatic a victory as, as the scoreline looks. So I think it was like three of the goals came in the last like five minutes or ten minutes uh, with a bit of extra time. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think they look like massively formidable. Um yeah, I'd, I and I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say they were dis- disappointing as such because I think if the players have come out and said, "Yeah, we're we're in transition and you know you can't be dominant all the time," uh, we're kind of just changing things and they've lost their manager and stuff. I think it's almost kind of to be expected. Um, but yeah, defensively for me is where their biggest weakness is, and, and we saw it with uh, when England played them in the warm up uh, matches for the tournament. Uh, just defensively, they're a little bit all over the place. So I think that against. Um, France is it that is massively gonna I think I, I can imagine France scoring a few against them in that quarter final. Yeah, I mean they've obviously lost Marie Antoinette Katoto, but Melvin Mallard came into the side and she scored. She looked dangerous in the in that last group game against um against Iceland anyway. So I don't think it was like much of a situation where you know, France, they're going to miss Katoto, obviously, but it's not like there's no one to come in and replace her. They'll, they'll still be dangerous. Do you think Do you think there's anything in there that, like, if there's a click, a boost with Miedema coming back, that it could be enough, or you just can't see them delivering the sort of performance that they're going, that's going to need to knock France out? 
Well, I yeah, I don't I don't want to say for definite because I think as well, well. Yeah, but... sorry, of course, I've put you in a horrible position there. Where I'm like, <laughs> definitely say that they're either going out or that they could go through. I think France just they do struggle in knockouts of uh, international football tournaments, and also the game against Iceland. I know they were already through, so maybe they kind of sat back a little bit, but then they really they really weren't as impressive. And and going back to what I said earlier about was uh group d just a case of a good team and then three teams that weren't that great so like have france looked better in comparison because the teams in their group weren't as strong i, I don't know we'll have to see in the knockouts so potentially that has kind of inflated fr- the french talent but attacking wise they are and i've noticed as well i think france in all three of their group matches have scored in like the first five minutes they just go for mm-hmm. it straight out of the blocks and I feel like that might happen again against the Netherlands. And like I said, I don't think Netherlands are defensively that strong to withhold it. So then if France go 1-0 up in five minutes, I think that maybe could already be game over. But I don't want to write the Netherlands off just because they do have those individual players. If, if Miedemo is back and people like Van der Donk, um, there's, there's players that can definitely turn a game around for them. And they have that experience of going, well, winning a tournament um they've got that defending champion status which I, I think they'd be really gutted to lose so yeah I, I I think I am back in France in that match but I I could see Netherlands maybe doing something I would be a bit surprised but you know weirder things have happened um and yeah. as you say it only takes that like you know France like you said they've gone ahead early every game so far they've obviously not gone behind in a game so far and who knows if if something like that happens but yeah I think I think it's fair to say that they're the the big favourites. Well, what about Sweden? In like, obviously they won the group then with the, with the Netherlands, and they've probably got the you'd say the kindest game in the quarterfinals up against Belgium. I thought Sweden slowly got better and better as the group went on, and it was like they started the tournament as one of everybody's favourites, like in the top three or four teams for everybody. And then quite quickly, everyone just started talking about England and Germany and France. And Sweden have actually looked pretty impressive still, and no one's mentioning it anymore. Yeah, I I agree. I think they definitely, um, like you said, grew into the game, uh, grew into the tournament. Um, yeah, the Netherlands draw. I think they would have been most disappointed, but Switzerland are a decent team, and to beat them, and then it was a really emphatic. Uh, result against Portugal I think like you said they'd hit their stride and they were really kind of going for it then Um, again I think they do have those really key players and they've got people like Blackstenius, Eriksson, Rolfo they've got Aslani they've got players like world-class players all over the pitch Um, and sometimes that is just what you need like you know you might not necessarily be playing well but you've got those players that can that can do things Um, they do in no disrespect to Belgium, they have a very easy path to the semi-finals. They 100% have to be there. Um, like they can't, you know, if they're losing to Belgium, yeah, like the opportunity that that's missed if they don't get through is absolutely massive. And for a for a team for a country as well that have had so many near misses in tournaments and and the Olympics, the World Cup, the Euros, and the past few tournaments, then they'll be absolutely kicking themselves if they don't make it through. Yeah, I yeah I agree fully. And then hopefully they will have a if England beat Spain tonight, they're going to have a semi final against England. And 
that will be tough because it's a home nation but it's that's it's just 90 minutes um yep. you know what i mean it's it's you know the rest of the tournament doesn't come into it in those 90 minutes and they've definitely got the quality to hurt england if they wanted so yeah, I think I reckon that after that, the first, the opening draw against the Netherlands, I think they would have been a bit disappointed, especially not being able to get the upper hand against their biggest rivals in the group. But then for the rest of the group, I, th- I did think they, they looked okay. I think especially that 5 0 against Portugal. Um, Portugal have proven to be a tough uh, test for, um, for you know, uh, the other teams in the group. So the fact that Sweden kind of blew them away is quite impressive. Yeah, it'll be, I think it, they're sort of. I, don't, I think it's wrong to call Sweden the dark horse because like, it's Sweden and everyone thought a month ago that Sweden were definitely going to be going really far in this competition and, and potentially win it. But then the focus has just gone on those other three teams that you'd probably expect to make it out of their quarterfinals so much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an odd one where they've just sort of not been talked about so much. Like you say, I think, and like you said before, I think Aslani and, and Rolfo um, have, have both been great so far and... Hopefully, we we see a little bit more of them before the competition's over. Uh, I think let's move on to Germany because maybe people are listening, and maybe England have already played Spain, and then you know we don't want to shove that in the middle of the podcast. That would make no sense. So Germany, I think, unlike like England and and I guess like France, they've come through so far and been all right and not really been tested even though they did have to play Spain, they probably have on paper the easiest quarterfinal out of those three that have emerged as the favourites so far as well. But I think Austria have been pretty, if nothing else, just stubborn and hard to beat in, in every game so far. So I don't know how you see this playing out. It is it is a very uh, tough encounter, I think. Um, I think going back to England-Austria, when I came, when after that game, I was a bit disappointed with England. But now, on reflection, I realise it was actually a pretty solid performance against a team that is very stubborn and uh, very uh, organised and frustrating for a lot of teams. And uh, clearly, you know, beating Norway, they are a really, really good side. Um, so now, with retrospect, you know, that England performance against Austria, getting a result from them was pretty good. Um, and, yeah, you know, 2017 semi-finalists, they, they do know how to to kind of surprise teams and, and go relatively far in the competition. Um, but for me, Germany, I, I think Germany, France, I think have been great, but a bit of a, that you can see weaknesses in the team. Um, Germany, I think have for me been the best team aside from England in the tournament. Um, I think formidable is the best way to describe them. Um, they can score goals, but they also just completely shut out the other team. Um, you know, beating Spain 2-0 was really impressive. Uh, Finland 3-0. Um, and then 4-0 against Denmark. You know, they've they've also, like England, kept, kept the clean sheet in all of their games and scored a few as well. And just, again, very organised as well. Um, so, for me, I think Germany... I, I You know, Austria are definitely underdogs, but strong underdogs, but I can see Germany winning that one. Um, I think it's kind of end of the road for Austria. I just think that that German team is is very, very strong. Yeah, obviously I'm on the same page or we're on the same page. I I think this could be an interesting one and definitely just the way that Austria play and they keep things tight, it could be a close one, maybe a lot closer than people are expecting. So personally, I'm definitely going to be keeping a a keen eye on it, I guess. Um, 
Has anyone stood out for you from either of those teams? And like, obviously, this is the the path that leads to a potential final against England. So you've got Germany and Austria in one semi, in one quarter final. France, Netherlands in the other. There's like four decent teams there. Um, yeah, do you think? Where do you think the biggest threat for England comes from? Probably. In terms of the teams, I... the, the teams and and maybe a few individual players as well. Yeah, I think Germany are the the team that is the biggest threat. I think they're. I I do think they're going to get all the way to the final. I know they they probably likely have a semi final against France, but I just think Germany are really strong. Um, yeah, I've been really impressed with quite a few of their players. I've really liked Lena McGall, um, who's obviously quite an established uh, player, but I think she's been great for them. Um, and then yeah, I do think Austria. Like Austria again, just a player from Austria that I've really liked is uh, Laura Vine really bad at saying her name Laura Weinrofer uh, the Arsenal defender um, she's she was great against England in the, their opening match so I think she's you know a really good player so probably if in those whoever wins I reckon either one of those players is going to be pretty um, pretty key for their team um, but yeah I mean every every team in that that those quarterfinals have such key players, you know, Sweden, like Aslani and Rolfo and Laxenius and France have, they're just Diani and Mallard. It's uh, Delphine Cascarino as well has been brilliant. <laughs> There's so many good players at this tournament. It's, uh, yeah, I, I do, I am hopeful for England's chances, but then when you consider the teams and the players they've got, it, it is quite scary. Well, and, and England, of course, going to have to get past Spain before they can even think yeah. about it, any any of those and, and Spain and then a, a semi-final as well before they could face any of those teams anyway. So we are getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, was, there was an interview with Leia Alexandra yesterday and she said, she was about England, she said, they've scored a lot of goals, they've started games well. What stands out for me is the wingers, the damage they can do. Uh, they're at home with their fans and it's the perfect scenario to win, but it doesn't always work like that. We're preparing mentally for a stadium packed with England fans. We're analysing them, seeing how best to hurt them, and they'll encounter a Spain team that wants to come, what may, reach the semi-final and play the perfect game. So we've watched England in the group stage. We've watched the warm-up games. What are Spain analysing and seeing how best to hurt England? What what do you think is the best way to hurt England and can it be done, basically? Yeah, I think it is... I think probably... Oh, it's it is tricky. I think definitely the de- obviously you'd be targeting the defense. I think maybe there's a little bit of a space in midfield as well. I think we don't have like a natural number eight midfielder. So you've got Kira Walsh in there, and uh, Vigman has been playing Stanway, who is normally more of a ten. But I think she's been really good in the position that she's been played in. But I think maybe she can get caught out a bit in attack. Um, so I think yeah maybe kind of through the middle and then just really go out the defense but the thing is i don't unless spain are going to completely change the way they play like i'm not sure if that they will be able to hurt england that well and um, just having watched them they really um they just like i said keep possession and then throw in some crosses and i think personally that england defense uh the centre-back pairing if Beegman sticks with bright and williamson are really well equipped to be dealing with those crosses that are coming in um Maybe, maybe down uh, if I, you know, it's hard to say about the team, but maybe if Rachel Daly is playing at left back, that's not her natural position. So maybe targeting the left wing uh, and getting crosses in from there um, maybe is the way to go for them. 
But I, I just, just the way that I know Spain play, I can't really, unless they completely change the, the way they play and go kind of, you know, more direct and, and stop passing the ball about as much, I can't really see them hurting England. Oh, I really don't, I really don't want to jinx this, but I can't see them hurting <laughs> England too badly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, in, that, in that sense, I don't, you know, in, in what she said there, I think um, it would, would require like a pretty significant change in the, their style of play. Like you said, England, I guess in midfield, you've got Stan Wayne, you've got Kirby ahead of Kira Walsh as the holding midfielder. What do you think of of those two and the possibility of it changing? I mean, I think it would probably be a bit of a surprise now, but Leah Williamson has played in midfield almost completely under Serena Wiegmann until the last warm-up game before the tournament. And now she's played at centre-back this entire time. Do you think there's a there's a chance that now you know the games are a bit bigger, the tests are a little bit bigger. You want to be a little bit more careful. Maybe Williamson goes back into midfield, and maybe Alex Greenwood comes in in defence. Or do you think Vigman is going to just turn around and say, "Now, nah, like we're playing this way. This is the way that's got us this far. This is the way that has looked very very successful so far, and we're not going to change. And other teams have to try and figure out a way to stop us." Yeah, I, I was quite surprised when Beekman reverted from that um, Williamson-Walsh pivot because I thought it had worked so well for England. And I think we've got enough depth in defence to have Greenwood and Bright as a centre-back pairing and that that'd be as good as Williamson and Bright as centre-backs. So I was quite surprised that she changed from that because it was working quite well. But I do think, based on the fact that Beekman kept the same, more or less the same starting eleven. Um, and set up for the Northern Ireland game when there wasn't, it was essentially a bit of a dead rubber. Um, that I think she is very kind of hot on keeping her, you know, keeping that way of playing, keeping the same players, keeping the momentum going. So I think, I reckon she will kind of go with the same, you know, with having uh, Williamson at centre back and then having Walsh and then, yeah, Stanway and Kirby or maybe Toon um, in, the, in the midfield ahead of her. Um, I personally don't think it would be a bad idea to have a more established defensive midfield. Um, I think it does work well and maybe, yeah, when there's more jeopardy in the games, it would be more sensible. But I think just judging by Beekman's actions in the past, she does seem to like that consistency. Although I was saying with someone from work, maybe what she's done is kept the same 11 and formation for the group stage, set everyone's expecting the same, and then they're <laughs> just going to completely change it and bamboozle everyone. <laughs> just a, yeah, a just a, a double bluff. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, would you, how surprised would you be if it did change now then? Or would you be? I think, yeah, like I said, what, what, what I've said about the fact she's kept consistency, I think um, I'd be more surprised if she did, you know, kept it the same for the quarterfinal and then changed it for the semis. I think that would be odd. Um, but I think if she changed it now for the first knockout stage, because there is, you know, more jeopardy and it's more riding on it, I think it's understandable to change the way you're setting up from the group stage to the knockouts. So I'd be less surprised for the courses. But if she just randomly made a change in uh, the semi final, that happened at the 2019 World Cup, didn't it? That's just come back to me. I think that's what Phil Neville did. So yeah, that would be that would be a strange decision. Um, but I think for the quarterfinals, if she, you know, sees the game dif- is, you know, there's different, there's more things at stake and wants to have a more solid team, I think it would be quite a good call. And I mean, we, t- we talked about Spain maybe being able to hurt England, but 
you've got to look at this and think England can really hurt Spain. They've they've not looked great defensively so far. They've been hit on the break over and over again. Denmark had their chances. Finland got their goal. Germany scored a couple. I guess the focus here is on how England can hurt Spain more. And I mean, I don't think we'll see eight goals. Um, I didn't think we'd see eight goals against Norway. But I guess that's the the root of the confidence, really, is that even if Spain can keep the ball a little bit more and then England have faced so far and find ways to to find gaps in that defence, you'd think the same about England the other way around. Yeah, I think for, for, for me, for England to beat Spain, I think it is relatively simple um, in that Spain, because they have all the possession and when they move up the pitch, they have a really high defensive line, like really high. And their defence doesn't look particularly fast. And then we've got, England have got Hemp and Mead on the wings, who are two of the paciest players ever. So it seems quite easy to me that, even if we don't have a lot of the possession, that's fine as long as we keep calm about that and patient. Then uh, capitalising on any counter-attack, getting it over the top to Mead and Hemp, who just run in behind the defence. That's For me, it's quite simple. I don't know if it's going to transpire like like this, but that, that's what I think they can really exploit, that, that defensive high line. We've got a very fast team um, and I think that's, that's what they're going to be aiming at um, and that's how we're going to score. And, and hey, if plan A doesn't work, and from the start, then the likes of Alessio Russo have looked brilliant from the bench as well. I mean, there's just, there's just been excellent depth where everybody else, or where Spain especially, feel like they're scrambling to figure out their best team. It feels like England have know what their best team is, or Serena Wiegmann knows what her best team is, but with players who can come on and influence the game from the bench as well, if it's needed, and now in the knockout rounds. Yeah, I think one of the things I've loved is this, triple substitution that Beegman keeps doing and she keeps putting on like Greenwood, Kelly and Russo like just a, all, all brilliant in their own right, all very easily could be in the starting 11. Um, just this power play that she does that she's like I'm going to make a triple substitution and, and they're all as good as the players on the pitch um, I think that strikes fear into any team that they're playing uh, yeah England's depth is is uh, really terrifying I think for any opposition so that again is is definitely a massive advantage Nancy, massive, massive thank you. I know we've got to let you go because you've got to try and hot step it down to Brighton um, as long as the trains are running and and find a way there to get there for the game tonight. How can people find you and find your work and follow you throughout the rest of the tournament? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, um, at Nancy underscore Gillen and then I write for Give Me Sport Women. So yeah, you can visit our website or our Twitter handle is uh, at Give Me Sport W. A massive, massive thank you for joining us and hopefully you enjoy a good night in Brighton tonight. Thank you very much. Yeah, hopefully an England win.